I am Jeremy. I'm nobody, but Jesus loves me a lot. Amen. And I love Redeemers. Uh, we are in the middle of Acts. Let's go ahead and jump into our passage today in Acts 11. I'll read it and I may add a little editorial. Acts 11, 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution in Jerusalem that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists as well, announcing the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Well, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Mm -mm. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send help to the believers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Good Father, if I were to ask uh, everybody here if we wanted to be part of a church that's growing, uh, we'd all raise our hands. Uh, but I have to admit, um, I've been pretty content to sit and wait for revival to happen. So I ask that you would not let Redeemers be a church that minds its own business that's nice but makes no difference in the world I ask that you would withhold multiplication until you give us a little bit of courage to share Jesus with others I ask that you would withhold wisdom until you give us a spark of fascination with your word and I pray that you would withhold the pouring out of your spirit and the spiritual gifts until we want what you want. So I ask for the basics. I ask for the beginnings. Show us who you are and what you want that we might follow you wherever you go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Acts 11... 
is a pivotal shift in the gospel story from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So every good story needs a setting, it needs a compelling character, and it needs a good plot twist. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning in Acts 11. What is our new setting? Who is one of our new characters? And what's the plot twist? Now, in season one, Luke's first gospel, this mysterious king shows up with nothing except a superpower. And he goes around the countryside exercising his superpower, healing and casting out demons, doing all kinds, raising people from the dead, things people have never seen before. And in the season finale, he's captured by the bad guys and he's killed. What? And then within a couple of days, he's raised back to life. What? And then at the very end, he says goodbye to all his fans and he leaves. What? They don't make season finales like that anymore. What, what's going on? What, what could season two possibly be about? The king is gone. Acts picks up season two of Luke's book. And after a quick recap in the first half of chapter one, the book of Acts is about that superpower being unleashed on a new race of people. They go around their shadows, heal people. They teleport from city to city. They walk out of heavily guarded prisons. And those who are touched receive that superpower to go out and start serving others. This is an incredible season two. In episodes one through five, uh, the believers are in Jerusalem. And I think the word that defines them best is awesome. Not only are they awesome exercising this superpower, but everybody is filled with awe. We can't believe that God is doing this. Our, the, the king is gone, and God is still working through us. It's awesome. And they were just blown away. They were shocked, not only by the power of God, but that God was using them to do it. Then episodes 6 through 11, they begin to stretch outward, and it becomes increasingly awkward. Because Acts 6 through 11 is about the other guys. Do we have the slide there? The other guys. Two things happen in Acts chapter 6. One, in a very quiet verse, it says, and a great many priests uh, came to the faith. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but imagine your group, your small group of fishermen and masons, and you have a teacher, and now all of a sudden a couple priests are coming to your small group. That changes things. Might make you a little nervous. <laughs> and we see through uh, the rest of the book of Acts 
that there's a lot more religious influence happening in Jerusalem. We hear about this circumcision party, and they become more and more concerned about rules and being Jewish. The other thing that happens in chapter 6 is they start having issues controlling their Hellenists. Now, Hellenists, what are Hellenists? Hellenists uh, were Jews, but they were not from Israel. Uh, From the exile, many of these Jews in the diaspora had been living in other countries, in other major cities for hundreds of years. So they were Jews, but they weren't very Jewish. They were more Greek than Jewish. A lot of the Hellenists didn't even speak uh, Hebrew, and they couldn't read Hebrew. They spoke Greek. They were welcomed to Israel and to Jerusalem, but kind of as religious tourists. You know, as long as you're supporting the traditions and the structure of Judaism, come on in. But they weren't really respected or trusted because they've made too many political and cultural compromises with the world. They couldn't be trusted as Jews. But... They were Jews who had a faith that was not limited by their national boundaries. They had learned to develop a relationship with God that was bigger than their nation and how great their nation was. They would say, you know, the temple is great, but our lives don't revolve around it. We have to develop a faith where we live. Israel was great with David and Solomon and the kings, but we don't need Israel to become great again in order to have a relationship with God. We've learned how to survive in the world with God, without Israel. So from Acts chapter 6, we have Stephen... Hellenist number one, who starts actively engaging those Jews from all the other countries and major cities and getting into arguments, and they're blown away by the Holy Spirit. So all the Jews from all these other places are saying, wait a minute, what's going on with our Judaism? Our nice, stable, comfortable Judaism. And Jerusalem is shaken. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they can't handle it because Stephen is making them look bad, not just in Jerusalem, but now to all these other countries of the world. So they deal with Stephen. They stone him. They kill him. And they start uh, jailing and killing Christians because they cannot look bad in the face of the world. Philip, Hellenist number two, who is also appointed as a deacon, along with Stephen, he starts walking around talking to proselytes. A proselyte is a foreigner who has adopted Judaism, right? They're studying scripture. So Philip goes and talks to the Ethiopian on the street and telling him about Jesus. And then he starts wandering all around Samaria, starting churches. And they're like, whoa, 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 Peter, John, 
we got to send the big guns. You have to go check up on this guy. Because we don't know what these Hellenists are up to. All around Samaria. And then Hellenists 3, 4, and 5 go to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they start sharing the gospel. Hopefully, with Jews, with Hellenists, probably with proselytes, oh, hopefully they're not talking to any Greeks or Romans, but you never know. So we need to send somebody to check on them. Now, Antioch is too far for a real apostle to go. So let's send Barnabas. Tried and true Barnabas. But first, let's get a sense. Let's look at that map. So you get a picture of the gospel being stretched. The gospel is being stretched from Jerusalem, way down here in the south corner of the Mediterranean. Uh, With Peter, it's being stretched to the coast, to Joppa, Lydda, even Caesarea, which is in the very edge of uh, Samaria. But now, Hellenists are taking it all the way up to Phoenicia, all the way up to the island of Cyprus, and all the way up to the major city of Antioch, all the way in the north corner of the Mediterranean. Now let's go to the next chart. Because it's not just about distance. It's about cultural boundaries. So let's get a little bit of a sense of really what is being stretched here. Now, first of all, they focus on Jerusalem and Judea within the 10-mile radius. Okay, that's like going to Terebon. Maybe Eagle Crest and Brasada. Eagle Crest and Brasada are kind of like the Hellenists. Yeah, they're Central Oregonians, but they're only part-time Central Oregonians. So they are, but they're not really tourists, but they're, they're kind of both right? (laughs) They're kind of tourists, and they're kind of locals. That's the Hellenists. Peter goes to Joppa, which was on the edge of the area that used to belong to the Philistines. So that's kind of like going to neighbors like Warm Springs. Yeah, they're close neighbors, but they're not really brothers, Then Philip starts wandering around Samaria. Yeah, they're Oregonians, but they're kind of (laughs) weird. Weird rural relatives. And then Peter ends up in Caesarea, not by his choice, but because he's forced to go there. And that's kind of like Californians. Yeah, West Coast is best coast, but... Los Angeles? I don't normally associate myself with Los Angeles. They're kind of like our weird city relatives. Phoenicia and Cyprus are definitely foreign. That's like British Columbia or the Baja. They're they're definitely foreigners, but we're still somewhat familiar with them because they're neighbors. Antioch is the major city uh, for Rome in the Middle East. It's their gateway to everything in the Middle East. 
Antioch is a capital. It's like a foreign capital city, but it's still on our continent, right? So that's like Ottawa or Mexico City. Whereas, as we are stretching and stretching in the book of Acts towards Athens and even Rome, that's completely foreign. Paris, Beijing. These are the stretches that are taking place with the gospel in the book of Acts. And to be honest, uh, Jerusalem can't handle it. They can't. I'm not a big uh, critical race theory guy. But when race is a factor, we have to acknowledge it. And Jerusalem could not handle the stretches that were taking place in the gospel. But there was a man who could. His name was Barnabas. Barnabas was a Levite, but he was from Cyprus. So he is a Hellenist. He speaks Greek. He's probably more Greek than Jew. But he was a student of Judaism, probably like Paul. Maybe he even took the same classes. But Barnabas was incredibly flexible. He was able to stretch the gospel. He was able to stretch in a lot of areas because Barnabas consistently wants what the Father wants. And we have a few glimpses of Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. My first example, if you go to the Barnabas slide, Barnabas put what the Father wants above what he wanted. So in Acts chapter 4, he takes his land and he gives it to the fellowship in Jerusalem. Barnabas says, God is doing something here in Jerusalem. I'm not from here, but God is doing something here, and I'm going to support it. I'm going to be a part of it. The Father is greater than his things. In Acts chapter 9... The Father is greater than his personal safety or the safety of the organization that he was invested in. He takes Paul, who was a direct threat to the early church. He goes out and he finds him and he brings them in, Paul, into the fellowship. He helps connect Paul. God is doing something in this man's life and I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to bring him into the fellowship. Even though it threatens me and the group that I'm invested in. Now that group eventually asks Paul to leave because Paul starts doing what Stephen did. Paul starts talking to all the other Hellenists visiting Jerusalem causing problems. So the church says, Paul, you're too dangerous. You need to leave. So Paul ends up going back to Tarsus. Then Barnabas travels to Antioch and he says, God is doing something here. And he puts the father above his status. He, uh, this blows my mind. Barnabas is an ambassador from Jerusalem to Antioch. And when he sees God is doing something huge, and realizes he needs help, he does not go back to Jerusalem. You'd think he would. 
<laughs> he sees something there God is doing, and he chooses not to go back to Jerusalem. Instead, he goes the opposite direction, all the way up to Tarsus, and he finds Paul and brings him back to Antioch. Why would he do that? It threatens his status. It threatens his status back in Jerusalem, and it threatens the status of this church that's growing in Antioch, because now they're not really connected with Jerusalem. They're getting their help somewhere else from outside of Jerusalem. Why would he do that? Because Barnabas realized that the gospel was bigger than Israel. He realized that if he brought people from Jerusalem, they were going to make the people in Antioch first become Jews before they could become Christians. Jerusalem couldn't handle the stretch. All the people that Barnabas was talking to were Greek. Now, they might be Jewish ethnically, but they were Greek. And in order to understand and grow in the gospel, they needed someone who not only understood Scripture, who understood God's will, who understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they also needed to understand Greek culture. So Barnabas brought Saul and Paul. And then uh, Barnabas also demonstrates the father is greater than his conflicts. In a few more chapters, we'll see that Barnabas and Paul get into it over a guy named John Mark. And Barnabas chooses, despite the conflict, to give John Mark a second chance most historians think that John Mark then went on to write the Gospel of Mark and establish a church in Alexandria, North Africa. In this chapter, though, Barnabas says, you know, what the Father wants is, is greater than my conflicts. He wants unity among his people. So the church in Antioch is going to support Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He's sensitive to that relationship, even though to a great extent he has stretched, even, I would say, cut cultural ties with Jerusalem. And he did it in a sensitive way that resisted Jewish religious oppression. <laughs> we will not require our people to be Jews before they can become Christians but in a way that voluntarily revered the law of God and supported the family of God. We will support Jerusalem. He shows respect for the religious establishment, but not without losing the gospel. Barnabas knew that Jerusalem was not his center. Jesus was. Now, in the world's eyes, the weaker always serves the stronger, right? So it was appropriate for Antioch to serve Jerusalem, the big brother church. <laughs> but in the eyes of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, who of you amongst desires to be great, you will become servant. And on this day... In this chapter, Antioch chooses to serve Jerusalem 
and I believe becomes greater than Jerusalem. And I would even propose that for the rest of our story in Acts, Antioch becomes the new base of operations for the gospel in the world. Jesus is our center and the Holy Spirit is on the move. And it is stretching the gospel across boundaries. Are we? Will redeemers experience growth and the Holy Spirit? Are we Antioch or are we Jerusalem? Because the Spirit of God will not be given to those who are uninterested in the will of God. Do we know what God wants? Are we willing to do what God wants? Because you're not getting the Holy Spirit until you do. You can wait as long as you want. It's not coming. Unless the gospel is our priority. Father, what is it you want? He wants our goodness, right? Pastor Brett talked about. And he's even specific about what kind of goodness. He wants us to be actively building a new kingdom culture around unity among his people and seeking and saving the lost. Unity and gospel across boundaries. The early church in Jerusalem stopped growing. Right? We don't see any more explosions of believers in Jerusalem for the rest of the book of Acts. The explosions with the gospel are happening in Antioch now and in the churches in Turkey. Not in Jerusalem. Paul goes back to Jerusalem and what do they tell him? He's telling them about all the miracles and the gospel spreading among the Gentiles. And they show him around and say, look how zealous we are for the law. What happened to Jerusalem? And they make Paul prove how Jewish he is. What happened to the gospel in Jerusalem? They wanted a stable, comfortable, low-risk church. And it kept them from seeing what the Father wants. God disrupted their culture, their customs, their politics, their hierarchy, and he raised up disruptors. He raised up the Hellenists (laughs) who would carry his gospel to where he was going. We need that kind of kingdom culture where disrupting boundaries is heroic. We're taking great risks for his glory is wise. We're choosing to perceive the good in something that's different is loving. We need some new cultural practices. And before we rush out and start evangelizing our neighbors, we need to start practicing some things here as a church. For the rest of our journey through Acts, we need to start practicing the gospel with each other. What does that mean? So we need practices to develop unity of seeing and speaking into each other's souls. 
It's what we do here from now on. We see and we speak into each other's souls. So I'm going to try and disrupt something, and I'm going to ask you to stop being so nice. Stop being nice. Stop talking about the weather and the stock market and and all these nice things and start stretching some boundaries. Let's take some risks. Three things. And I think we have a slide. If we're going to start speaking into each other's souls, we have to be committed to honest conversations. Right? So if somebody asks you how you're doing, we are no longer going to answer fine. Do not say fine when somebody asks you how you're doing. Tell them something about your soul. Where are you at? Are you hurting? Are you joyful? Be honest with where your soul is. But three things that I'm challenging us to build our culture around. If from now on, if you see someone exercising a spiritual gift or doing an act of service, encourage it. Say, I see you. You are living out the gospel. I appreciate the gift that God has given you and your attitude to live out the gospel. Well done. That's what we do around here. You have a gospel strength and you are using it. Thank you. Two, if you don't see a strength but instead you hear pain. Resist giving them advice. Resist sympathizing. Don't be nice. Be loving. Say, I see that you have a gospel need. I I don't have any good advice or strength to give you, but can I pray the gospel over that? I'll be honest, uh, someone stepped up last week and prayed for my wife and I. It was awesome. We've been going through a really hard season with one of our kids. And I'm not here for your pity. And I'm not here for your advice. I'm here because I need God. Pray the gospel into my life, please, somebody. Somebody see my soul. Somebody speak into it. That's why I'm here, not to be nice. If you start a conversation with somebody and you're not sure if they are experiencing a gospel strength or a gospel need, then ask them a question. But ask them a soul question. You know, not... (laughs) Not how you you like in the weather. Ask him a soul question. Did you experience any joy over the holidays? Did God speak anything to your heart from that passage this morning? Ask him a soul question. Get up in their face and say, hey, why are you here? (laughs) 
Sure, it's not as nice as saying, oh, that's a lovely brooch you're wearing this morning. It's not nice, but it's more loving. Why are you here? Because if God brought you here now, it is for a good reason, and we need to figure out what it is. Stop being so nice. Let's get into each other's souls and speak to each other. Let's stretch. We need to do the spiritual work because when a church has lost its flexibility with the gospel, it's soon irrelevant. As we pursue more gospel in here with each other, we will experience growth. We will experience the Holy Spirit. We will experience more of God's goodness and then maybe, maybe Jesus will lead us out there to start disrupting some boundaries in other people's lives. As we practice speaking spiritual words to each other, maybe we will stop being quite so awkward and we'll be able to speak into other people's lives for his glory. I want to invite you into communion as we worship to spend some time reflecting on where is my soul at and I want you to invite the great disruptor into your heart ask him to speak something into your soul as we take communion